another episode of the DBR Spotlight Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Evan, and I'm glad to join with you, Compass, because we're in a new book of the Bible. As we go through the whole Bible in a year, this year we are going to be talking through the New Testament, and we have completed Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, meaning they're very similar And now we come to the Gospel of John. This is one of my favorite books of the whole Bible. So, Compass, let's get our DBR calendars going. We have the first four chapters of the Gospel of John to talk through. So, buckle up. Here we go. As a reminder, we do have some resources for you as a church to study the Bible together as we look to God's word for him to use his word to change us and conform us to his son's image. So we have some Bible study, uh, study Bibles, excuse me, down in the bookstore, an ESV and a John MacArthur study Bible that Pastor Hayden and I would encourage you to read along with us to better understand God's word and also the Bible knowledge commentary set, the Old Testament and the New Testament, two books, one set, and we'd love for you to have that as well, and we sell those in the bookstore. As a reminder, there's a couple resources online that could be of benefit if you really want to expand your library, one of them being Four Portraits, One Jesus by Mark Strauss, and The Cradle, The Cross, The Crown by Kostenberger, Kellum, and Quarles. Now, I do recommend Kostenberger's stuff because Kostenberger, uh, he's a professor, he's a really smart guy, has written a lot about the Gospel of John. But now, Compass, let's open our, our Bibles to the Gospel of John, and let's see what we have from God this week. And before we actually set up chapter 1, I want you to make sure you jot down at the beginning of of the Gospel of John, the purpose of John, which is, you can write this down, John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. John 20, 30 to 31. It's helpful to know what John is doing because he has a whole reason and purpose. Matthew's purpose of writing his Gospel is so that you and I would believe that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, who brings the forgiveness of sins. You know, Mark wants us to write to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And then Luke wants us to know of an, an according, uh, a detailed account so that we may believe what we heard is actually true. And then God, uh, John's purpose, excuse me, is this. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which a lot of them John doesn't account for, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. So that's what he's referring to, which are not written in this book. He's like, I've written this book, but there's other things that Jesus did outside of these books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, excuse me. But these are written, so John was written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's also known as the Messiah, the Savior, what John says, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's whole goal in this book is for you and me to see that John proves that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, and that if we believe in him, believing is turning from our life and turning to Jesus' life to save us, we will have life in his name, or something we'll read this week, eternal life. Now, there's some notes about John. John loves the number seven. 
And just to kind of prove some points, there are a bunch of statements that Jesus says called the I am statements, which refer to back in Exodus when Moses, if you remember our DBR last year, Moses uh, asked God, like, what name should I tell these Israelites that you are so they may know I'm talking to the right person? And he says, I am who I am. So these I am statements is Jesus pulling from the Old Testament the words that God gave Moses. Remember, the Jewish people of Jesus' day really revered Moses. This is the law of Moses. It's the law of God that God gave through Moses. But Jesus is identifying himself as God. And actually, there's two things you need to, uh, well, actually, three things. Three things you need to be on the lookout for uh, when reading the Gospel of John. Number one. You need to be asking the question, who does Jesus say he is? He says that he's the bread of life, light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection in the life, the way, the truth in the life, and the true vine. Those are the seven I am statements. Number one, what is Jesus saying about himself? And number two, what is he doing to prove it? So there's seven I am statements and seven signs Jesus gives to show his divinity. And I'll just spoil it for you. It's water into wine, healing the nobleman's son, healing the lame man, feeding the 5,000, which is actually one of the few events that all four Gospels talk about. He walks on water, heals the uh, man born blind, and raises Lazarus from the dead. And number eight, he rose from the dead. So he there's seven things who he says he is. So that's the uh, first thing. Number two is what does he do about it? And then number three, the thing that you need to do is say, do I believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Or do I believe in some Jesus that I've been taught or made up in my mind or I like to follow, pick and choose? Or do I believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Because only the Jesus of the Bible is the one that saves. So let's dive in, Compass. Let's go right down to chapter one, which right off the bat is some deep and amazing theology. As I heard a professor say it, who heard another professor say it, who heard another person say it, John is so simple for a child to understand, but so deep that an elephant can swim through. And so right off the bat, you see that, oh, I understand it. But you think about it going, well, this is pretty deep. Right off the bat, verse 1, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. This is the word we get, logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we already have some identification going on that Word equals God. Now here's something else you need to notice. In the beginning, it says, John says, in the beginning. This should help you remember two things. One, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, what happened? God created the earth. Well, here it is. In the beginning, the word exists and the word is God. So John's defining terms. So this should, you and I should remember Genesis right here. But here's number two. You should remember what does Genesis mean? The beginnings of a genealogy of the beginnings. Who else started off with the genealogy? Matthew. So we have Matthew starts with the genealogy, John starts with the genealogy, and John's genealogy is more of a cosmic genealogy of how the world began. And so it's setting up who God is so that so that John reveals who later Jesus is. This is who God is. God is. He's the word. We see here that he is the light. We see light versus darkness. And John is saying God is the word. God is the light. And so to prove that who Jesus is now, verse 14, we see that the word, remember was God and became 
flesh and dwelt among us. Now, there's two more things you need to take note. This would have shocked Greeks and Jews. So this information that the word, God himself became flesh and dwelt among us, would have shocked the Greek audience, that this is, remember, written in Greek, and the Jewish audience. Remember, it's the Jewish Messiah. Why? Because the Greeks could not fathom that the, the God of the universe would actually come down and have human flesh and become human. And furthermore, the Greek, it says, the dwelt among us really talks about it. he tabernacled with us. Like, well, what's a tabernacle? It's a tent. Remember the big old tent that Israel used to carry along until they got into the promised land, until they built the temple? It symbolizes God's presence with his people. So what John is saying, that God became human and God dwelt among us, which the Jewish audience would have been like, say, what? What are you talking about, John? He's saying, yeah, Jesus is Yahweh. He is the word. He is the tabernacle. And so right off the bat, John is really trying to show who Jesus is. And John, and John, all the gospels point to the divinity of Christ, but John has no shame talking about who Jesus is. Now, still in, in chapter one, go to verse 17. And so now John is going to be talking about how the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, some people, brothers and sisters in Christ, would say this is oh this is law versus grace, and I would say I disagree. It, Moses didn't have the law; it was the if you look closely, the law was given through Moses. Moses didn't give the law; he was just a messenger of the law. Now, grace and truth came through Jesus. Notice the difference. The law was given to Moses. Moses didn't produce it. Grace and truth came from Jesus. Jesus produced it. And so it's saying law and grace. It's talking about how the Jesus fulfills every aspect of what the law is and was pointing to, which is ultimately grace. And now the grace of God has finally come through Jesus. So Jesus is the full fulfillment of the law and the bringer of the promised grace. So then after uh, that, we have verses 19 to 28, we have the testimony of John the Baptist who clarifies he's, he isn't Elijah, but Jesus reveals that he is Elijah. So what's going on? G- John is saying, I'm not literally Elijah, but Jesus is saying he's the Elijah type as the forerunner, which uh, uh, John the Baptist confirms. But then we have in verses 29 to 34, we have John saying how Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, you need to write down Isaiah 53 next, talking about this is the Lamb who would be slain. So John is saying, here is the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the whole world. And how he didn't understand this at Jesus' baptism, hence Pastor Hayden preached on that in Matthew's account of the baptism. But John's saying, I get it now. And Jesus is the lamb who Isaiah 53 predicts would suffer so that our sins would be forgiven. And then in verses 35 to 42, we have the call of the first disciples. We have uh, a couple of men following John. And the, Jesus, John's like saying it again. He's like, behold the lamb, behold the lamb. And so then John's walking around with his disciples and he sees Jesus like, hey, behold the lamb of God who takes the sins away of the world. And two of his disciples go, well, let's follow this guy. They didn't, it's not like they hated John. No, John was just the forerunner, and they followed the Savior. 
And furthermore, they actually, in verse 41, they ran and told the others, saying, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, which points back to who's John writing to. John's writing to everyone, Jew and Gentile. And he's using a Gentile uh, language in Greek to reach a whole world audience, Jew and Gentile. So he says he found a Messiah, talking to the Jewish audience, which means Christ, talking to the Greek audience. So then we have the call of Philip and Nathaniel. And something you want you to note down in verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, I don't know, why would I follow a Galilean? But Philip says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, the Bible constantly pointed to that this is a Messiah that is going to come. They were looking and actively looking. Now, what about Luke 24 that we just read? Didn't Jesus have to open the eyes of the disciples there? Yes, he did. But it doesn't negate the fact that other people had the Spirit open their minds to go, this is who the Bible's pointing toward. And then in Luke 24, Jesus even revealed more uh, for their minds. So why? So that they can teach the world who Jesus was. It doesn't contradict. And so we have the come and see. Hopefully it reminds you of the billboard that we have on Common Street. This is come and see uh, Compass Bible Church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus calls Nathaniel and Philip. Now, John chapter 2, we have Jesus's first miracle in Cana, and it's a wedding. And it's a little ironic, the wedding, because the thing that we look forward to is what? A wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's in Revelation. But who wrote Revelation? You got it. John. John the Apostle wrote Revelation as well. So it makes sense that as he's focusing on the Lamb of God, and then in Revelation that the wedding feast of the Lamb is to come. So right off the bat in chapter 2 of John, verse 1, on the third day, you know, wink, wink, future thing to come in the resurrection, there's a wedding at Cana. Again, this is even alluding to an eschatological event, but Sticking to the text right now, it's it's a forecast, yes, but also it's showing who Jesus is. So he turns water into wine, and this is the note in verse 11, that this is the first of his signs. Remember, one out of seven, right off the bat. Number one of seven in John chapter two, turning water into wine, that his blood would purify. And I bring that because what were the jars of water? Jars of purification. They were of stone. They would have been the purest of water to set something apart. And Jesus is saying, through my blood will the world be purified. And looking forward to what? A wedding feast to come. As he turned water into wine for this wedding feast to be enjoyed, his blood will purify for a future even bigger and awesomer wedding feast to come. So then, we go right into verse 13 to 22, which is Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, this is where things get dicey with commentators. We see in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus cleansed the temple at the end of his ministry. But here's John saying it happened in the beginning of his ministry. No scholar, good, conservative, uh, Bible-believing, God-fearing commentators would say, he, John's putting this in the beginning. He kind of plays loose with time. I am in the conviction of some other scholars saying that Jesus did this twice, that he did it in the beginning and he did it at the end. That is just my conviction of my own study of what God's word kind of seems to lay out saying, you know what? John says he's the order of events. The other gospel say he's the order of events. If we're going to piece them all together, Jesus cleansed the temple twice. But here's the point of this one, that this is the, if you notice in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews is at hand. 
in the other Gospels, there's only one Passover, and that's at the end. John's Gospel, you're going to have three. So he actually loves the number three as well. He loves seven, and John loves three. So notice for patterns of seven, patterns of three. This Passover is the first of three Passovers, showing the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, go jump down to verse 18. He is cleansing the temple because he has zeal for the Lord, and he wants them to worship God rather than you know, build up their own pockets. And so they say, what sign do you uh, want to show for us of why you're doing these things? And Jesus said, I will destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up. Now, this is Jesus alluding to the I am. He didn't say outright, but he's alluding to the I am. Well, the I am, Yahweh, dwelt in the tabernacle. Yahweh dwelt in the temple. And what Jesus is trying to show these people that he is the I am to be worshipped. He is the I am that is dwelling in the temple quite literally as a in the form of fully human, fully God. And so he's trying to show them and demonstrate to them, I am the one you are supposed to worship. But they are so blinded by their hearts, which actually you can take note of John chapter uh, watch it, John chapter three. We'll get there in a second. That the light came into the world, but hated the darkness, or they hated the light and they wanted to dwell in the darkness. The light is standing in front of them, but they wanted their sin more. And what a warning it is for us to sit there. Now, in verse twenty-two, it kind of explains Luke twenty-four again. Therefore, he was uh, when therefore he was raised from the, thir- the raised from the dead. His disciples remember that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Talking about Luke 24, how Jesus explained it to them that this is what is going to happen and why. And so then Jesus kind of explains what belief looks like after this. So he talks about later, um, excuse me, what a, what a man is, and then it lands on how Jesus did not entrust himself, verse 24 of chapter 2, to um these people. Why? He's not here to entrust himself to people. He's entrusting himself to God the Father, and he's trying to save people. He's not here for man's praise, but to praise God. And you're actually going to notice this uh, once again later in the Gospel of John. Now we get to chapter 3, which is probably the most recognized chapter of the whole Bible. This is the conversation that Jesus has with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was seeking to know who God was and was asking, is this guy who he says he is? And in this conversation, Jesus is going to explain what it means to have eternal life. Nicodemus and the Jewish people thought, I have eternal life because I'm a child of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, yes, you need to become a child of Abraham. But in order to become a child of Abraham, you need to do a certain thing, which I'll reveal to you. Believe. How is Abraham counted as righteous? Because he believed. And how are we counted as righteous? Because we believe in the person who would make us righteous. So Jesus makes it clear in chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's the thing. If you say, I was always a Christian, I'm sorry. John's clear. Jesus is clear. You have to be born again. If If you have not been born again, you need to be born again in order to be saved. If you're not born again, you're not saved. And that's what John is trying to help you understand, that Jesus is the Christ, believe in him, and be born again. And then they have a conversation a little bit more about you know being baptized in, in water and spirit. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I don't understand how the spirit's involved with this. And Jesus says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. He's saying, you don't see the wind. You just hear it and see it moving just the same way that people are being born again in the spirit. You're going to, you won't be able to physically see it, 
but you will be able to see it because of the effects that the wind has. You see it's blowing around. It blows leaves of the trees. Well, if you see the spear in someone, it's blowing away their sin in their life and making them act righteous. Instead, putting off an old self and putting on a new self. Instead of the fruits of the flesh, it's fruits of the spirit. That's how you and I will know that the spirit is active. And then, then Jesus continues in their conversation, and he says these famous words in verses 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, that anyone who believes in Jesus, believing meaning they forsake their old life, repent and trust in Jesus to cleanse them of their all unrighteousness, that they would be saved. And what does this belief look like? A, a, a total trust. Go back to verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 3. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. This is an event in Numbers. You can write that down in Numbers where serpents were, you know, God sent serpents to bite and kill Israel for for judgment, for disobedience. And then God told Moses to build a bronze serpent statue and raise it up and anyone who looks at it would be delivered. It's not just going, you know, I you know, I can mentally assent to the fact that this uh, the serpent here will save me. No, it's like, if you really believe it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to get in your hands and knees and crawl and look at this golden serpent and be healed. So believing in Jesus is not a mental ascent. It's responding, getting your hands and knees and turning to him and saying, I got to give up my life and I follow you. And so the way that we are saved is by believing in Jesus. So after this um, conversation Jesus and his disciples went to the Jordan, uh, Judean countryside, and this is where John the Baptist, this is where I love him right here. He exalts Christ. Everyone, all John's disciples are looking at Jesus' the disciples, and Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than John's, uh, their disciples, and are going, wait, what's going on? John, like, he's taking all our people. He's taking all the credit. And John's like, hey, verse, verse 27, a person cannot receive one thing unless it's been given him from heaven, showing his humility. And he talks about how he isn't the Christ. He's the best man at the wedding. It's about the the bride and the groom at the wedding. He's just a guy on the side. He's like, this is my place. I'm trying to exalt the bride, the the groomsman, the bride's groom, to the point where he should be looked at. Therefore, my joy of him growing his ministry, my joy is complete. That Jesus now is getting the praise. And so for you and I, we are a church about here another church where preaching the gospel and people are getting saved and being baptized. We it's not a competition. We're celebrating the lost souls being saved and saying, Praise God, Jesus is being exalted at that church as we want to exalt Christ at this church. And this is what we need to do, Compass. Verse 30. He uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. Do we do that? Do we make sure that we decrease and that we are increasing Christ in our lives with the way that we live? Are we reaching people for Christ? Are we reaching to build our kingdom? Are we teaching people to be like Christ? Or are we just teaching them to conform to what we think is right? Are we training people to serve Christ? Are we training people to serve us? So Compass, we got to make sure that Jesus increases in our lives and we decrease which leads right into John chapter 4, where Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman to show that the, that the kingdom of God is not just for the Jew, but it's for the Jew and the Gentile. And even the outcast right here, the Samaritans, as a reminder, were people who were a mixed breed between Jew and Gentile during the first, well, the exile of the northern tribes by Assyria. But if you need to know more about that, I refer you back to your study Bible or the previous podcasts. So what happens here is that Jesus strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and she has a sexual past. 
and he is trying to help her believe in him. And so what does the conversation go? Go to verse 13. This is, this is the cool part. Jesus says to her, he's sitting at a well, he's thirsty, he's tired, showing his, his full humanity, that he is fully human in our behalf as well, so that he can bear our sins. So he's thirsty, and he, uh, she's thirsty. That's why she's there. And he tells her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, pointing to the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. That sounds like the best Gatorade in the world. The water I give him will be become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now that is talking about right there in Ezekiel, Jesus ta- uh, God reveals how a spring of water will rush out of this new temple. And so here's Jesus saying, I am the temple right here. So the woman's like, well, sir, give me this water. I would love to have this, this Gatorade so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now she's missing the point. But Jesus is going for the heart. He's not going for like, you know, understand. He's like, no, I need your heart. So he tells her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. Actually, you have no husband because you have five husbands. And the one that you're with right now is not even your husband. So what is Jesus doing there? Is he shaming the woman? No, he's convicting her. She wants to be thirsty and to kind of, she wants to keep her life the same. I want eternal life and not change. And Jesus is saying, you need to be born again. You need a new heart because the heart you want is wicked, and I want to give you a new heart that springs up up to eternal life. So the beautiful part is that Jesus and her continue to have this conversation, and and then Jesus uh, and she asks and you know, tells him like, "Hey, I know the Messiah is coming." In verse twenty five, he is called who is Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And this is I love this mic drop right here. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I mean, if you want to say, where does Jesus call himself God? John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is like, I am the Messiah. So what does the woman do? Well, she repents and believes. How do we know she repented? She dropped the water jug that was there for her in the first place and runs and finds her friends. The people, by the way, that would have shamed her because she's an adulterer, that I don't hang out with us. She's like, I don't care. I'm breaking all types of social barriers right now because you need to know that you can have peace with God like I now have peace with God. And so she ran and told them what had happened. And we see actually later at the end, there's a small revival there in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed. So here's the woman who didn't care about the social status of where she's at, broke through them to say, you need to have peace with God. You need to have peace with God. Here's the Messiah, the one that we're waiting for. So you and I, we need to break through some social walls as well, me included, to say, do you know Jesus? Do you, are you born again? Do you have, are you going to, are you drinking of your own water or drinking from the eternal water of Jesus Christ? Have you forsaken your sin and trusted in Christ and have eternal life. That's what the woman did. And the Samaritans in that town believed. And they even said they, she brought them to them and they heard the word, the his words himself. And what we do is we bring the word of God to others and say, listen to what God has to say to you. And this is our hope. They said, they told Jesus, it is no longer because of, um, they told the woman this, excuse me, verse 42 of John chapter four, it's not because of what you said, we now we now we leave, for we heard it ourselves, and we know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. So, Compass, we need to break through barriers. We need to preach the gospel, point people to God's word, so that people may believe in the Savior of the world and be saved. 
And I want you to jump back to verse 32. If you do that, you won't be hungry. And I promise you that. Jesus was very hungry. His disciples went to go get a snack. If you jump back up to verse 32, and they're like, hey, Jesus, here's some food. And Jesus tells them, I have food. Uh, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples are like, what is he talking about? We got Chick-fil-A, Jesus. What do you, here, here you go. Verse 34, my food is to, do, is, to do, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so, Compass, that should be our will, too, to do his will, to proclaim the gospel to the world so that people would be saved. And so, John 4 ends with them going back to Galilee, back into Cana, and then Jesus heals an official son, sign number two. And what happened as a result? In, in verse 53, the man and his household believed. And now, verse 54, this was the second sign. But the important thing is people are seeing and are hearing who Jesus is and seeing who Jesus is and are believing and trusting in Christ. So Compass, as we jump in this journey together in the Gospel of John, I exhort and encourage you all, including myself, to go out there and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins can be found through Him alone and hoping that God's Holy Spirit would convict them to lead them into eternal life. So I can't wait to study the Gospel of John with you some more. So Compass, I will see you next week. 